So welcome to the sixth session in this series of um, bringing mindfulness into our lives and for life. And the title or the theme of this evening uh, session is our reactivity to stress and difficulty, our reactivity to stress and difficulty. And stress and difficulty here can mean really small things, some minor discomfort in the body, a small irritant in our day, or it can be graded up to things that are maybe more substantial. As we go about our lives now, more and more aware of the need to keep distance from people with masks and in crowded spaces, how are we when people get maybe a bit too close to us? Or when we actually want to move close to someone that we like and give them a hug and we know that we can't do that? To maybe the more challenging reactivity and difficulties. Some people are living in situations with quite a few people where they're having to learn to really live alongside <laughs> people with an intensity that maybe they're not used to. And all of the reactivity that's involved in that. And some people are living alone and suffering with really quite painful loneliness. So when we speak about stress and difficulty, we're thinking about the whole gradation from the small to the more substantial and how we normally, habitually work and react to those things. What are your go-to strategies for coping at those times? We all probably have a bit of a repertoire that we're more likely to turn to than others. What are yours? Maybe think back to the last few times that you got a bit stressed. What do you tend to do? And here's the thing, if you don't know, maybe ask some people who you, who you like and who like you <laughs> and know you quite well and ask them, will you be a critical friend? Tell me, when I get stressed, when I'm under pressure, what are my go-to strategies? Here are some really common ones. Get busy do anything. Just as long as I'm doing something, I won't have to think about whatever's going on. Here's another very common one, variations on the ostrich strategy. <laughs> Hope the problem goes, by the ostrich, I mean the ostrich sticking its head in the sand and pretending nothing's going on. Hope the problem goes away. Pretend it's not happening. Spacing out. Distracting ourselves with TV, the internet, gaming. Just hoping it all blows over. Here's a third strategy. Worry. <laughs> Think about it. Try and figuring it all out in our minds. Often right through the night because we can't sleep because we're analyzing every angle. 
And here's a fourth approach. Get irritable, get angry, find someone to blame, <laughs> shout, and variations on that theme. So all of these strategies, speaking as a psychologist and as a human being are completely understandable. We do them for very good reasons. We're in a state of mind, in a place in our life that doesn't feel comfortable. We want it to change. And sometimes these strategies will work in the short term. But very often in the long term, these are strategies that can actually make us more stressed, create tension in a relationship, have a problem get larger rather than smaller. And there's this wonderful expression in the ancient um, wisdom traditions, um, in particularly in Buddhist psychology, which I love is this idea of um, the second arrow. You might've heard this before, but it's, it's a sort of lifelong inquiry where, the, where the, the, the first issue that we're dealing with is the first arrow. There's nothing we can do about that arrow. It is there. The discomfort in my shoulder or my neck is there. Um, the fact that somebody in the supermarket not wearing a mask has come up really close to me and it's made me a bit worried, that is there. The second arrow is the layer of suffering that we place on top of that. So really, really, I think, profound and lifelong learning to examine the second arrows that we bring that can create a sense of reactivity and stress. So what I want to do um, in the session today is to talk about how we can work with reactivity. I want to say a few things about this. Um, and then I want to um, guide a mindfulness practice where we really um, play with these ideas within the practice in such a way that we're rehearsing skills that we can then use in our everyday life. One of the functions of mindfulness, which actually I always find is surprisingly little talked about, is something called protective mindfulness. So sometimes talked about these different functions or dimensions of mindfulness, but one of them is protective mindfulness, that actually our mindfulness has a way of protecting us. It's kind of like a, um, like a sentry or a bouncer in a nightclub. It's actually a way of keeping us safe, protecting our minds. And I want to just focus on two ways in which the mind can exercise protective mindfulness. The first is a sense of grounding and anchoring. And we'll practice all of this in the practice in a moment. But in any moment, with some mild discomfort in the body, that moment in the supermarket where somebody comes too close, that moment that we're someone we're living with is doing that really irritating thing again that we've asked them now 5,000 times not to do. In these moments, can we ground and anchor? Now, anchoring is such an interesting concept. Anybody who knows anything about boats will tell you that anchoring isn't just a matter of dropping an anchor out of the boat, tying it up and hoping the boat stays still. The whole artistry of anchoring is extraordinary. First of all, you need the right anchor for the 
ground that you're on? Is it sand? Is it gravel? Is it rock? You use different anchors for different conditions. You then attach a bit of chain to the anchor and that anchor rests on the bottom of the water so that when the boat tugs on it, it's not tugging directly on the anchor, it's tugging on the chain, which gives a little bit of extra um, um, support, if you like. And then the final piece of it is what is the length of warp that you need? And that's going to be a function of the weather, it's going to be a function of the depth of the water, and it's going to be a function of the size of the boat. And the same is true for us with anchoring. The kind of anchor you need for some mild discomfort in the body is very different from the kind of anchor that you might need in the midst of an argument with somebody um, that is quite tense and quite stressful. Different anchors are needed for different times. And this is a lifelong practice, knowing what for you are anchors that will serve you in this context and in this context and in this context. That might sound a little bit abstract, make it a bit realer. If you're sailing, just to use the metaphor, if you're sailing a small dinghy on a lake with not much weather, you can pretty well just throw everything, anything with a little bit of weight out of the boat, it will keep the dinghy in place. Take a large tanker out into an ocean and a force 10 storm. You can have an anchor, which is just a long bit of warp that's hung out of the back of the boat and it keeps the boat head to wind. It's a completely different idea, but it's doing exactly the same thing. It's anchoring and steadying and keeping safe. So a little bit of discomfort in my shoulder I can just anchor myself in my breath, in my chest, in my belly. If my teenage daughter is giving me a really hard time and I'm on, I'm on the verge of saying something that I know I'm gonna really regret, I might just change the whole stance of my body, come to what's sometimes called a warrior pose. And the whole of my body in that pose becomes my anchor in that moment. And from that place, it's easier not to say the thing that I might then regret. Different anchors for different contexts. The final thing I wanted to say before we go into the practice about protective mindfulness is this notion of moving towards and moving away. So with mindfulness practice, what we're beginning to do is to learn this skill of taking our attention and being able to move it towards different experiences, away from different experiences, and with different lenses, lenses of interest, lenses of curiosity, lenses of friendliness and lenses of care. Now mindfulness and the mind can be so very, very wise. It knows when to move away. It knows when something is too much and can't be coped with. And it knows when something maybe is interesting and it would be helpful to turn towards it and hold it in awareness. And again, that's a lifelong skill to learn when to move towards, when to move away, how to move towards and how to move away. Again, a really simple example. I might be waiting for somebody in an airport lounge or at a bus station and I've got this sense of um, kind of a whizziness in my chest and my belly and my head. 
turning towards that helps me know that this is excitement. This is a sense of looking forward to. This is a sense of love and connection about the person I'm about to greet. Or it could be anxiety. But actually the turning towards there has a sort of quality of investigation, which leads to something quite interesting. And I know when very difficult things have happened to me in my life, my mind has, like all of our minds, this capacity to shut down and say, no, not now. I'll come to that at another time. Or when there's a lot going on, I'll come to that at another time. So this idea of moving towards and moving away is something that we can play with. So working with stress and reactivity and protective mindfulness, these are skills that can be developed. They're skills that can be developed in our lives and throughout our lives. But mindfulness practice is the place where we can begin to actually cultivate and learn some of these skills. So I want to move us across into, um, into a practice. And this is a mindfulness of breath and body practice. And as you transition into this practice, just maybe starting with the face and bring your awareness, bring your attention to the face and let your face relax. Let the muscles in your face and around your eyes and your mouth. Come to ease. Just be completely natural. No need to react to anything or portray anything. Just letting the face and the muscles in the face relax. And now bring your awareness to the neck and the shoulders. And having a sense of the shoulders, if they're uptight, the arms hanging naturally, the weight of the arms hanging naturally from the shoulders. And bring awareness to the chest with a sense of the chest opening on the in-breath. The emptying on the outbreath. And just bringing your awareness now to the arms, the hands. Again, a sense of the arms and the hands at ease. Relaxed. The legs and the feet. At ease and relaxed. Maybe having a sense of the whole body with a sense of uprightness maybe even a certain strength moving through the height of the body 
from the sitting bones at the bottom of the spine, up the length of the spine, to the crown of the head. There's a sense of uprightness, dignity, sense of strength. Whenever you're ready, bring your awareness very intentionally to the breath. A focal point of the breath, whether that's the belly or the nostrils, just somewhere around the breath that can serve as a focal point for your attention in this moment. Dialing up or, if necessary, down, but dialing probably up the sense of real interest in this breath. What are the sensations in the part of the body that you're focusing on? Through the full in-breath and the full out-breath. Actually, moving up if it's okay with you, moving up quite close to the sensations. So your attention is actually, if you like, touching or in contact with the sensations of this in-breath. In this out breath. Sometimes this is called bare attention, meaning it's not thinking about the breath, it's not feeling the breath, it's actually directly experiencing the sensations in the body as the body breathes in and the body breathes out. I have a pleasant quality. See if you can tune into that. Maybe a sense of well-being or ease around the breath. Just move up close to that. Let your attention rest in those sensations. There might be some unpleasant sensations too, maybe some sense of the breath being a bit shallow or fast. Again, just see if it's okay with the sense of moving towards, moving away, just to find a place to be alongside that. With interest, friendliness, 
this breath. So the invitation right now is to use the breath as an anchor, to anchor your awareness in the sensations of breathing in this moment. So with a sense of um, playfulness, what I'd like to ask you to do now is just to ask yourself this question. So the invitation is to use the breath as an anchor. And if that feels okay, just stay with that. But is there another place in the body that right now feels like a suitable anchor, an anchor appropriate to your current mind state, your current body state. So if you're coming off a really busy day, a really agitated day, maybe moving a bit away from the head to the feet or the hands or the sitting bones. If you're actually feeling really at peace or at ease, it might be the breath of the nostrils. If you're not feeling comfortable in your body at all, maybe Hearing is a good anchor. So the question is, what feels like a good anchor, an appropriate anchor for the state of my mind and body just now? I've just given some options, the feet, the hands, the breath in the belly, the breath in the nostrils, hearing. Some people like to put their hand on their belly or their chest and use that as an anchor. And once you've settled on something, let your attention really reside there, be anchored there. made an active choice to select an anchor for your awareness. Now let your awareness settle there, like the anchor and the chain settling at the bottom of the ocean or the pond or the river, wherever. an anchor that can hold your attention, hold you steady.
sense of interest. Maybe even a sense of appreciation of this anchor. And whenever you're ready, just broadening the awareness out now to a sense of the whole body. So the anchor remains a place to always come back to, to always be anchored by, wherever you select it. But let your awareness broaden out to a sense of the whole body. And it's a really interesting little shift here, quite a profound shift actually, where your awareness here becomes more receptive, more open to whatever it picks up in the whole of the body. The anchor's always there, always there to come back to, to stabilize and hold you steady. But there's a receptive awareness to the whole body. And then maybe you find your mind is pulled to some areas of difficulty or discomfort or even pain. And here again, you can exercise that choice. Do I let my attention move towards this? And if so, how much? And also if so, with what lens? Friendliness of care. Compassion even. How close do I move or how far back do I stand? This really playful quality of receptive awareness of the body. And the same is true. You may actually experience some sense of well-being, pleasure or warmth. relaxation or ease. Same thing again, the anchor is there, this receptive awareness, but also playful choice about moving up close, standing further back. Sense of interest or even awe. Sense of light friendliness. Maybe even a stronger sense of real care. maybe a part of the body that you're feeling particularly grateful for, appreciative of, for whatever reason. Or a part of the body has been giving you some trouble recently. This receptive, interested, friendly, caring awareness. And this playful sense of I can move towards, I can stand back. I can even let it completely be. The anchor is always there. 
if all of this just feels, I don't know, too much or whatever, just letting your awareness rest in the anchor, moment by moment. But if these invitations of receptive awareness, open awareness to the body feel helpful, this idea of playful learning, does that feel helpful? Does that feel unhelpful? Gosh, what do I learn when I do that? And when I do that? Not making it into some kind of abstract big exercise, but more a sort of playful learning. Both with the pleasant and the unpleasant that we discovered in the body. Open, receptive awareness. And it's quite likely, if not almost inevitable, that the mind will both wander and be reactive. Minds wander to wherever, but they also in the midst of practice will inevitably react with starting to tell stories in the self involved, why do I always do it this way? Why does he always do it that way? Right there is reactivity, just moving, first of all, noticing it, and coming back to the anchor. And with a sense of really Seeing the mind wandering and the reactivity is part of the practice. What can you learn? What's proven to be helpful? What's proven to be unhelpful? Maybe the anchor needs to be a bit stronger. A bit heavier longer chain, whatever. Great, and in the last few moments of the practice, letting all of that go and just come back to the simplicity 
of the sensations around the anchor that you've selected. The sensations, bear attention, direct contact with the sensations in this moment. this moment. Just maybe forming an intention in the last few moments of the practice take forwards whatever you've learned in this practice, whatever you've um, found helpful in this practice throughout the rest of the day and indeed the rest of the week around anchors that work for you, around when it feels helpful to move towards something and when it feels helpful to move away. about what supports you when you're faced with stress and difficulty and reactivity within a practice and how you can export that and use that so it serves you in your day-to-day -day life. Thank you.